Hello and welcome to the Blair Upper Cervical Podcast, a show where we interview top Blair Upper Cervical chiropractors to glean their insights, tips, and passion. In each episode, your hosts, Dr. Kevin Pekka and Dr. John Stenberg, bring something unique and inspiring to help you grow and succeed. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Blair Technique Podcast. Got another bonus episode here. Uh, those of you that uh, may recognize Dr. Kevin Leach here, he's not a Blair practitioner. He's a, a colleague in the NUCO organization. So he's working in that uh, technique framework and uh, really excited to have Dr. Leach with us for some of the work that he's doing, producing chiropractic content, specifically upper cervical chiropractic content uh, to build certainty and confidence and an awareness of what we're actually you know, able to accomplish through our, our respective technique systems. Uh, and, and that specifically is, is called the upper cervical research, the upper cervical chiropractic research review. Uh, and Dr. Tyler Evans, a friend of all of ours here in the Blair technique organization is, is kind of working with Dr. Leach on that. So really excited to have you doc. We're going to share the topic of the top five upper cervical research articles that doctors should know. And so whether you're a student and you're getting into upper cervical, whether you're practicing doc that maybe is a little bit out of the loop on some of the things that have developed over the years, and this is going to be the spark notes version of some of the most relevant and uh, cutting edge research and, and articles that, you know, really, really underpin the science behind the chiropractic work that we do. Uh, and then we're going to link back to the upper cervical chiropractic research review show for a full in-depth breakdown on that stuff. So if you guys want to get a little bit more into the details of these particular studies, that'll be the place to do it. Uh, so doc, thanks for making the time with us. Uh, Dr. Kevin Leach practices at Pre Progressive Chiropractic in Edmonds, uh, Washington, which is what north of Seattle. Yeah. No, awesome. about 10, eh, about 10 miles north of downtown. Okay. Excellent. Well introduce yourself. Tell us how you got into upper cervical care and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, well, it's always a long story that I'll try to make as short as possible. Uh, in chiropractic school, I was I was getting adjusted traditional chiropractic for about a year. Um, and by the end of that year, just getting anyone that could get their hands on me for, you know, at least two to three times a week, I was pretty much maintaining just very minimal health. And, uh, you know, it got to the point where you know, I'm sitting on the edge of my bed and I'm thinking, how am I supposed to tell the world that chiropractic is this amazing thing uh, when it's really not working for me? Hmm. And that's not to put down, you know, traditional chiropractic, but it's just, that was my reality. And then in fourth trimester at Palmer in Davenport, we, uh, we had toggle recoil as a, as a course. And so uh, I started to delve into the history of upper cervical and, you know, BJ Palmer's research and pretty much dove in and and didn't look back. And so got under care, saw some really important changes in my own health. Not, you know, it wasn't like a miracle story, uh, but it was a significant enough to where I was like, you know, lights came on. I was like, wow, this is actually it. And so uh, I was just, I was extremely involved uh, in, in the upper cervical community, <clears throat> excuse me, even uh, just starting in fourth trimester. So most of my, you know, most of chiropractic uh, college there. And so uh, I started out, I actually graduated in 08 and uh, I practiced in, in Italy. And uh, if anyone knows of the upper cervical health centers, uh, I think they're still around, but they, uh, 
So one of the co one of the co-founders at that point had some family in Italy. Just again, make that short, real short, uh, real short. Uh, I had the opportunity to go over there and practice. And so during chiropractic school, I was Blair Club president. <laughs> and uh, but I was still, you know, I was doing knee chest. I was doing Blair. Uh, I actually, you know, I, I practice Nuka now, but I actually really didn't get into into Nuka. We had an I had an opportunity to. Uh, take the elective, but for some reason I didn't. Um, and Dr. Barone taught that elective, and I can't remember if it was because I chose another elective or for whatever reason. Maybe I saw the funny stance that they were in, and I was like, "Yeah, that's hogwash." Where's the um, torque? I need yeah, more exactly. torque. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I I started. So I practiced. I actually practiced knee chest and toggle and a little bit of Blair when I was in uh, when I was in Italy. And then uh, three three and a half years went by, and uh, you know, for reasons I won't get into, I I just I really honed in on the Nuka technique, uh, you know, and that was kind of my path. And so I sought out some some docs who were hiring, you know, associates, so I could really dive in and learn the learn the technique before opening up my practice. So. I left Italy after three and a half years, came, uh, chose Seattle, uh, did an associate, uh, d- associateship there, uh, and uh, decided to stay. So I, I thought I was going to go to California at some point, and who knows, I might, but you know, with everything going on in the world right now, probably <laughs> not. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's pretty much the, the, the path of, of how I got into upper cervical. Awesome. Yeah. There's, there's a, you know, if you kind of follow the the thread there, there's a level of curiosity, you know, just about upper cervical from that fourth trimester on getting introduced to those principles and it peaking your interest. And what I love about, uh, you know, high level upper cervical docs, no matter what technique you're practicing is it seems like that curiosity is always there, right? And it's Absolutely. always wanting to know more and to do better and to become more precise and to improve your procedures and get better outcomes and, you know, consider different perspectives and, that's why I love the work that you guys are doing with the uh, upper cervical chiropractic research review. Uh, so how, how did that come about? So my, my motivation for that was to create a library on YouTube that anyone could access that broke down research to make it accessible for more people, yeah. whether it be a patient, a doctor or whoever, my idea was that, you know, there's, there's still thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of people that still need our help that don't know that we exist. And so my idea was, if I can just review this research and get it easily digestible and easily accessible for people to understand, whether they watch the whole episode, whether they look into it or not, if they see this you know, they go to my channel and they see this plethora of just this monstrous, you know, uh, resource of, of information. And they happen to have trigeminal neuralgia and they look and they say, Oh, there's, there's several things here. They're They're going to, they don't even have to watch the whole thing for them to pique their interest and for them to say, hold on, what is this? If they've tried everything, if they're trying to avoid surgery, if they're trying to do something more conservative, And they can say like, oh, boom, like I need to research this. I need to watch this. I'm in Oklahoma. This guy's in Edmonds, Washington. Who could I find that's doing something similar? So that was really the the idea and and, uh, and purpose of of doing this 
this research review was just to disseminate this information easily because who's going to look up some re a research print it out and and read the whole thing i mean you have to yeah. be a geek like me to to be interested in that and and lay people and patients they're just not they want the answer they want a solution and and that's kind of just the awareness right trying to build that knowledge and awareness is really what i was trying to go for the great thing about you know, the access to resources like YouTube channel is that lives there perpetually, exactly. you know, the folks that are searching in the middle of the night and they're just yep. suffering. It's, yep. it's available. If you leave the screening, it's gone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That opportunity has gone, but that lives there. And that, uh, you yeah. know, serves a lot of folks Absolutely. that are out there looking yep. for help. Yep. And you think of in the spirit of BJ Palmer, you know, what else did he do besides research chiropractic printing press, you know, volumes of volumes of books, yeah. World yeah. of Chiropractic Radio. He'd have yeah. been all over yeah. social media, right? Oh, oh my gosh, yeah. Oh, makes yeah. you makes you wonder what that yeah. would have been like. But yeah. uh, so you know, in the spirit of sharing the chiropractic message, it's an awesome you know awesome tool and resource. Yeah. So let's get into you know some of those topics. Then you know we're okay. going to talk about some of the uh, you know top five research articles or five really rare, uh, really important articles. I yeah. know particular order. What's the first on the list? And I know this was a hard thing for you to come up and with. And that's, that's really what I wanted to emphasize. It's like, I was, you know, preparing for this. I was like, man, like, how do I, you know, because it, again, and you, and you know this because you've created a podcast as well. It's like when I was creating this, this research review, I'm thinking who, who's this target audience. Right. And yeah. to go from patients and doctors, it's, it's a, it's a pretty big difference there. So it's like, well, you know, is this list of top five for chiropractors? Is it for, you know, and, and then if it is for chiropractors, is, is it for their knowledge? Is it for their building their, uh, their referral network? Is it for their patients? Right. So I just went through and just kind of went with my gut and, and chose five of the ones that we've done so far. Uh, and, you know, figured we'd, we'd go from there. Absolutely. And, and for folks that are listening or watching uh, the, the video version of this on YouTube, we're going to have links to the Progressive Chiropractic YouTube channel so that all that, that full volume is available. So cool. go look at that. We're going to touch on very, very briefly a yeah. few articles, but there's, a, you know, there's hours of content that are related to these topics. So go check that out. This is a primer and an introduction to Dr. Leach and Dr. Evans' work you know, that we wanted to connect with you guys. So yeah. all right, let's take and, it away uh, I like how you emphasized uh, brief because that's one of definitely one of my problems, especially in practice is I just want to talk too much because I get excited about it. And I want to tell my patients like, oh, you got to understand like what's working. And, and I always got to kind of reel myself back and be like, they just, just give them the basics, give them the rundown. So, yeah. awesome. um, okay. So the first, uh, so I guess I'll just overview first. So episode one, two, four, 17 and 24. So one, two, four, 17 and 24 are the ones that uh, the, the ones that I chose. And the first one is just your symptomatic reactions, clinical outcomes, and patient satisfaction associated with upper cervical chiropractic care. Now, this is kind of a no brainer. Uh, but this one is just about safety. It's about efficacy. And one of the main Nowadays, I think one of the main reasons why the medical profession won't refer to us is because they're worried about liability and they're worried about twisted necks and stroke and all that kind of stuff. So if you have this, if you have this research to, to share with whoever, even patients that might be skeptical, you can just say, hey, listen, like there are millions of adjustments done without any adverse reactions. And, and this is really important to know. So I think that's obviously number one. It's a, it's a go-to, it's a resource. It's just something to have 
in your back pocket for any anybody skeptical or anybody you know thinking that you're going to be harming patients that's number one excellent yeah and we will uh you know provide the links for that now i would encourage folks to actually read the paper you know prepare yourself for the conversation that they have so that you're aware of the methodology the data collection the way it was analyzed what the results and the conclusions were I mean, actually look at this stuff it's it's really important and i know that you know when we talk about science nowadays there's a litany of just snippets and tidbits and things taken out of context. So it's important to actually get your hands on these papers and, and have a look at them because this is, nobody cares more about this than chiropractors, right? This is our research. This is our data. So you want to own it and be familiar with it. So, okay. Safety and efficacy, top of the list, very smart way for you guys to start that conversation. Absolutely. So number two is a case controlled study of cerebellar tonsillar ectopia. So the Chiari, the head and neck trauma, uh, by Freeman, Rosa, and Harshfield. So this is uh, this is a really good one because it really associates, you know, head neck injury, the whiplash to, uh, you know, the uh, the Chiari malformation that they could see. And what they found was there was a direct, you know, there was a statistic, statistically significant correlation between. Um, not only the head trauma and CTE, but uh, recumbent versus upright MRI. And so, yeah. you know, a lot of I know there's, there's been some criticism of the upright saying, oh, it's gravity pulling it down, but they actually compared non-traumatic and traumatic, and they saw that there was actually a difference. And so, you know, really finding uh, these patients that actually need that, that's a really good, it's a really good resource. And it's a, it's a good paper to, to look at in that, in that sense. And, and, anytime- just to, and not, sorry to interrupt, and not just because of the CTE, but you know, when we, you know, when we go through school and we go through chiropractic school, we, we talk about the nervous system, right? It's all about the nervous system. And over the past, I would say maybe even decade or more, we've really, we've really come to understand what that upper cervical chiropractic subluxation is doing beyond just the neurology. It's, right. it's the hydrodynamic, and we'll get into that as well, but it's the fact that 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 your, your cerebellum could actually drop down the, the amount of problems that that could cause beyond just, uh, you know, the traditional thought of, of what a subluxation can do is, is significant. And, and, and it makes our work even more important. No, and I, I, that's exactly what I wanted to underscore with that particular paper with Dr. Harshfield and Rose's work is, is kind of expanding and reintroducing us to these other tissues that are involved. Right. We're, we're looking at imaging and we're taking our misalignment vectors and our measurements on our imaging and looking at the bones. But we do want to take a step back and appreciate the ligamentous structures, the neurovascular structures, all these other tissues that are, are, are affected in a, in a negative way by the upper cervical subluxation. And a lot of the mechanisms that folks are experiencing physiological recoveries and outcomes with are related to how those tissues are involved with the work that we do. And so really important to you know, take a, take a, te- a step back from the technique lens every so often, and just think about the neuroanatomy and the physiology, Absolutely. Uh, create a deeper understanding of that and communicate that to your patients, because the structure is, that's really easy, right? That's very basic for folks to understand in terms of structural concepts. Uh, but if you're talking with someone that's got dysautonomia, they're not so worried about their high shoulder. They're not so worried. They're worried about their life and their ability to perform, you know, physiologically. Absolutely. And so that's where a lot of this stuff comes to, you know, comes to bear. And with these patients, other providers aren't having conversations with them about these mechanisms. And so, you know, a lot of times the conversation about it's it's in your head. Well, it could be just below your head. And there's other mechanisms that influence, you know, the functioning of the nervous system that, you know, become very relevant for folks in these situations. Absolutely. And that's 
that's one of the big disconnects as well that hopefully again your work my work and that all of this creation of awareness is doing is getting these other providers to understand the significance of these you know these whiplashes and these injuries and what they can do to the body and the effects that they could have long term yeah yeah and and any provider no matter what your particular industry or your specialty is that is outcomes oriented and really wants to see patients get well they're going to be open to that conversation when you're talking physiology you're not talking chiropractic you're talking about you know the cranial cervical junction and it's it's relevant neuroanatomy and physiology absolutely absolutely okay on to the next uh, one. So number three, uh, the role of the craniocervical junction in craniospinal hydrodynamics and neurodegenerative conditions by Flanagan. And so this one, uh, this is just a real good overview of what, you know, the upper cervical spine does. And we were just talking about that in the craniocervical junction. So just the, the blood outflow, the cerebrospinal fluid, what a uh, misalignment can do, but also what other anatomical problems can do with, uh, with the hydrodynamics uh, in the upper cervical spine. Again, dealing with the you know, neurodegenerative conditions and things like that, it's, 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 prob- it's, prob- it's one of the only things that I can think of as far as what we do that's more of a natural treatment, if you will, toward these ne- neurodegenerative problems. And uh, it's huge. Again, there's a disconnect and a lot of providers in the medical profession don't know that we can actually have and involvement in that, but that's another really good foundational, you know, thing that, that upper cervical chiropractor should know as far as what the effects, you know, what the effects are. And this is one that for me in school was sort of a tipping point, you know, toward upper cervical care. And on top of that was an experience very similar to yours, which is I got better results with fewer adjustments less often with that level of precision. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then understanding through the science, you know, why that was, why is it that my brain fog cleared up? You know, why is it that I was able to perform cognitively at a higher level? Uh, what are some of those mechanisms involved? Cause it surely wasn't just alignment. Um, and, and understanding Dr. Flanagan's work and talking about subacute intracranial hypertension and, and venous congestion and the glial lymphatic system and, and all these other things that are going on in and around the upper cervical spine. Um, you know, we've all referenced, you know, the 1985 bears documentary and, and Jim McMahon talking about the toilet bowl flushing. Yeah. Um, you pair that with that for the previous paper that you referenced, Dr. Rose and Dr. Harshfield's work, you're starting to build a really big case for systemic neurological autonomic health with the work that we do. Absolutely. And, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I, and I just wanted to touch on this, one of the really big, important things, cause I always, when, when, when patients come to me and I can tell that they're like, yeah, like, why is this different than your traditional chiropractic? And one of the things that I've really tried to break down for them, the difference between upper cervical and traditional chiropractic is, is movement versus alignment or uh, increasing, you know, state, you know, restoring range of motion or function of the joint compared to alignment. And, you know, I've actually, even though I'm an upper cervical chiropractor, I've been a guinea pig, you know, even with chiropractors in my community, my, my, since I was in chiropractic school, just to see what might help and what might work. And just, again, just that, like you said earlier with my interest in all the different upper cervical techniques and what's the best, right? I'm like, I'm not dogmatic about NUCA. I'm not dogmatic about 
anything. It's like, if it's going to work the best for everybody, then I'm all about it. Yeah. And so, um, I just try to explain to them, listen, traditional chiropractors get really good results and they can even move and adjust the subluxations in the upper cervical spine. However, if there's not a, if there's not a training of getting this, getting that alignment back into proper position so that you're just living life in the aligned position yeah, that affects cerebral spinal fluid flow and secondary venous outflow and the neurology and everything then you, you, you're, you're missing some of the chiropractic point. And obviously, you know, traditional chiropractors are probably going to have something to say about that, but you know, I'm, 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 and I'm up for debate about that, but I really see that. And I've seen that go back, going back to my, me being the Guinea pig, I've seen that, like I've been measured before and after traditional chiropractic adjustments with my yeah. C2 adjusted with my C2. And it's just like, I don't balance out unless I get an upper cervical adjustment and I balance out and, and I hold. Yeah. So I think that's again, alignment with the, with the hydrodynamics and all of that is, is crucial for long-term health and stability. Yeah. And in, in upper cervical, no matter what your sort of technique lens is, we do want to have a corrective intention, right? Which is we don't want to have to adjust you all the time. We want your adjustments to hold because we understand yeah. the sustained benefits of this physiology working properly over time is where the health value is. It's not in just stimulating a temporary release of some of these, you know, some of these physiological, you know, capabilities. It's, it's the sustained prolonged value. What from a philosophical lens, we would call constructive survival value, right. That accumulates with that. So um, yeah, and it's, it's always a matter of percentages, right. And, and, you know, our, our, I guess one of our perspectives in upper cervical care is is what you just referenced is we want to get more folks well, faster with fewer adjustments and for longer. Right. Right. And, and that's always been, you know, from BJ Palmer's clinic days, that's always been a, a primary objective. So cool. uh, excellent. All right. Number four, we got the role of the cervical spine in post-concussion syndrome. Mm. Uh, it's by Marshall, Vernon, Letty. Um, and this one, I mean, this one's, this one's huge. This one's huge. I, I work with a naturopath uh, who wrote a book. Actually, let me snag it real quick. I'll, I'll plug him real quick. <laughs> he wrote uh, concussion rescue. Um, he's over just on the other side of the water here, but we, we go back and forth. He even has a chapter in that book about upper cervical chiropractic and the, you know, the, what he calls the mechanical, you know, he talks about the cranial cervical junction, cranial cervical syndrome. And uh, you know, he sends a lot of people because he understands that, that connection there. And, I believe, I truly believe, uh, just like Burkhan has, has really built his practice on Meniere's, you know, I think Kerry Johnson works a ton with, with concussion stuff in, uh, in Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota. Um, but I truly think like upper cervical chiropractors could build their practices on treating patients with post-concussion syndrome. It's that prevalent, it's that common, um, and it's that significant in their recovery. Uh, and so that paper really talk, really dives into the connection there um, and how a ton of the symptoms from just concussion and post-concussion overlap uh, from, from problems from the neck or just the concussion itself. So I think that one's a huge, huge paper. And there's, there's, a, there's several that go off of that and several post-concussion page, uh, papers with, uh, with that. So I think, I, think, I think that's a good one. 
Yeah, and, and uh, shout out to Dr. Kevin Pekka, Dr. Drew Hall, a few of those in the Blair community that, that had that experience, right? They were living with post-concussion syndrome before people knew what to call it and how to help. Yeah. And luckily, through the grace of God or whatever, they, they found themselves in an upper cervical office, yeah. got cleared out, got their life back, and, and are now on fire and helping you know countless patients with yeah. that. So uh, if you're that person, it makes all the difference in the world, you know, if Absolutely. you're living with that. So literally, literally all the difference in the world. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Number five, uh, cervicogenic headaches, a critical review by Scott Haldeman. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this was, this was actually published in the spine journal. So medical journal, um, that gives it more clout. It's also, um, a, a review. So it's reviewing a bunch of literature. So that, you know, hikes up the, uh, the value of the research as well. This wasn't necessarily, uh, an upper cervical technique study. However, with cervicogenic, he right. looked at he looked at all the different ways the medical profession, alternative medicine, whatever, yeah. in, in treating the neck for headaches, and he found and came to the conclusion that you know cervical manipulation um, was pretty much the best and and only thing that had a significant amount of evidence toward helping uh, headaches. And so, you know, even if a, a chiropractor an upper cervical chiropractor wants to focus on headaches. That's a huge paper, huge evidence to share, not only with his patients, but other medical providers and say, Hey, here, this is in your journal, right? Like medical doctors, medical doctors have been treating the neck for headaches. They've like, they've known there's cervicogenic headaches for over a century. And so yeah. here's the evidence. Here's what we do. Here's the safety study. You need to be sending me people, you know, you like that, that's it. Like, you know, stop put, giving them medications. Medication can, you know, again, if somebody's, you know, in a, in a bad way and they got to take some meds, I'm, I'm really not completely against that as long as they're being told what the potential cause is and they're treating that um, and not just going to, you know, planning on taking medications for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Or Botox injections, yeah. or, you know, or whatever else it is that, you know, we've all heard patients have been through the ringer of things that are kind of sniffing around the problem and right. kind of getting closer to the problem, but is not really, you know, pinpointed the problem. You know, absolutely. that's where folks end up, you know, seeing us. Yeah, so, absolutely. yeah. And, and a note about other providers, you know, my experience has been that other providers are very open to this type of literature, you know, and a lot of them, you know, and this is, this is something you hear from patients too, that they're not necessarily scouring literature, right? There aren't that many medical providers that have the opportunity to go sift right. through journals and they're reading these papers and they're up to date. So that kind of elevates um, the level of confidence that a patient has in you or a provider has in you and that you keep your, your eye and your ear out for relevant literature and that you're praising what you're doing against the, you know, the best science at the time um, and, and keeping all that at the forefront of you know, directing your patient outcomes and because that's that level of confidence and competency is what you want to, you know, convey to folks that are in a bad way. Uh, and we do have all this is built into our technique systems, whether you're reading it or not, you know, we do have e efficacy in the work that we're doing and we are influencing these mechanisms. You know, if you were just to follow your technique protocols, you're going to get good outcomes. And these are a lot of the ways that that happens. And another point, just, you know, as we're, as that's our fifth paper is, if you look at the references, you know, in these other papers, you're going to have hundreds of additional resources available. Yeah. If yeah. you look at the, the papers that these that have referenced these five articles, that's going to open up the door to to a whole bunch more information. And so it's a, it's kind of a funny thing when folks, you know, say, well, I, you know, I don't 
it's not scientific. I don't, I don't do things that aren't, you know, based on research and things like that. It's like, what level of, of evidence are you willing to accept? To yeah. quote Dr. A multi-billion McCoy. dollar NIH study with, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It, and that's one of the, that's one of the difficulties with our profession is, you know, all the doctors are practicing, they're making a living. They're not, you know, solely, uh, dedicated to doing a ton of this research. You know, we, we're in business to get people out of the office, not to bring them in. So it's right. like the business, the business model of what we do is we're trying to get them out of the office, not a good business model. Right. But, but that's, you know, obviously what our, what our goals are. So. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, with, with condition specific languaging and some of the medical terminology that we might be referencing or using in these conversations, you know, if, if that rubs you the wrong way, if that kind of, you know, rubs up against your chiropractic philosophy, you know, we're, we're kind of taking that hat off for a second when we're talking about conveying some of these concepts with other medical providers, and we're trying to do our best job to build bridges to bridges, what absolutely. they're familiar with, the terminology yep. that they're familiar with, something that's approachable to them. Right. Um, and what matters most, you know, my opinion is that the patients live the benefits of the chiropractic philosophy that becomes realized in their lives in a tangible way. And if we do need to, you know, be mindful of how we're communicating and integrating with other healthcare providers so that they have that opportunity, I'm okay with that. Uh, And and so, you know, owning some of this languaging and, you know, owning some of the uh, ways that the communication is a little bit easier across healthcare uh, fields, I think is, is an additional benefit of keeping your eye on this stuff, you know, additional benefit of owning some of these, you know, some of these research papers. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. And an honorable mention to uh, the, the Dick Holtz study, you know, one that uh, in upper cervical and in chiropractic in general, a lot of people of like course. to quote, you know, yeah. like to reference the, uh, the blood pressure study. And, and the reason why I want to bring it up is it, to your earlier point, you know, here's Dr. Dick Holtz and, you know, a, a couple general family practitioners in his community that together you know, over 600,000 of his own dollars invested yeah. in that pilot study. Yeah. Right. And that just goes to show you, you know, in the hierarchy of research and what it takes to actually get get this work done. Yeah. It's a it's a significant investment. Yeah. Uh, so a, across the levels of research, whether you're looking at case studies, meta analyses, whether you're looking at randomized controlled trials, placebo, double blind, the whole nine yards, there are different tiers and, and you know, levels of evidence. Uh, and they all have their place, right? In an evidence-informed style of practice. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's why I even do case studies on this. On this, you know, because it's in the end, in the end, and this is this is something I really think about as well. Is even if it's a case study, when that trigeminal patient watches me or me and Tyler, you know, go over these these things, and they see the conviction and the the knowledge that we have about how those things can help and have been helped. That's what they need. They don't, if they're really suffering, that's all that, that's all that they need. If they're yeah. just some skeptical, like, or show me the research, then they, that's not for them. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah. yeah. And, and I applaud you for putting that information out there because you do open yourself up to the trolls and the folks that are looking Absolutely. for, looking for reasons to start arguments and things like that. And, you know, that's something that is anytime you're creating and putting out content, you know, you, you're introducing that risk. Yeah. And so I appreciate you having the, uh, you know, having the thick skin to be able to do that because for that one person, there, how many patients just need to know that it helped someone else, right? They don't need to need 50,000 you know, data right. points, right. they want to know that somebody else like me right. went through this process and got their life back. And if that's right. the case, it's possible, right? right? Absolutely. So and we yeah. want to build the confidence of the upper cervical chiropractor 
in the work that you're doing. Cause we do yeah. all have those cases where things go slower than expected or don't go according to plan. And it's easy to, uh, you know, to, to maybe doubt or have, uh, you know, a little bit less conviction about what you're doing, or, you know, maybe you question, you know, how is this actually working and what am I missing and what's going on? So we always want folks to build their confidence, you know, not just in, um, one area of chiropractic, you know, we've got a philosophy of science and art, we want you to be strong and capable and confident uh, and very competent in all those areas. And so I really appreciate the work that you guys have done to, you know, yeah. to bring a lot of the science to the forefront. And obviously we apply that through our art and through our technical perspective with a philosophical foundation, you right. know, for why we do what we do. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'd like for anybody listening to, you know, I always try to try to get feedback you know, as far as how I can make my, you know, the, the research review better. Like when you watch the first one and, and then you watch number, number 21, like there's going to be a difference, right? There's, yep. You might have to drudge through those, those beginning ones. Cause we're just trying to figure out the format and what people are interested in and the, you know, how to consume that, you know, that content and whatnot, but I'm always open to suggestions for improvement. Also big time. If anybody's watching this and they have, other studies that they think are important and they don't want to spend the time doing it, send them to me. Mm. You know, um, Dr. Evans and I are mostly, when we do our studies, we're doing like the big ones and the significant ones. And typically I, I'll just do like the case studies and the smaller ones, just kind of on my own real quick to just to get it out. But anything that anyone has that they feel like is important or even could be on the top five list, send it over and, you know, we'll eventually get to it and we'll just keep building up that library. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and the more folks that get involved in, in sharing those, sharing those snippets and those tidbits, you know, the better off it is for patients, you know, folks that are sick and suffering. And, you know, the great thing again, about having something like a search engine, like YouTube is, you know, you can leave a trail of breadcrumbs for folks to find answers that they can't find elsewhere. Right. right? And so right. it's meaningful work. It's important work. We appreciate that you're doing it. Awesome. Uh, the Blair technique community, even though we're sort of doing things a little bit differently, yeah. Uh, yeah. we appreciate that. And it's, it's all adding points to the scoreboard for chiropractic, which Absolutely. is in my Absolutely. opinion, one of our, one of our responsibilities. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really happy that these days, you know, even compared to when I, when I first graduated, there's a lot more working together with all the upper cervical techniques. It's not as dogmatic. A lot of the old guard, the old, uh, you know, the old timers that are super, you know, this is my way or the highway, they're kind of phasing out and the new generations are, are moving in and, and we're here to support each other and not badmouth each other and say, mine's the mine's better than yours. But it's like that this technique makes sense to me. I feel yeah. like I can get my best results. So that's why I'm doing it and supporting each other. And especially with the council on upper cervical and, yeah. you know, the diplomate program and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I, I see a future where across upper cervical, we can have some sort of standardized assessment that allows us to categorize patients and set them up for a better outcome, you know, with a specific technique um, based on, you know, all the cool tools and technology and things that are available now, yeah. whether it's CBCT or, or neurological testing yeah, things. Absolutely. And even, even the conglomeration of all the techniques combined, like what if, like, what if the C2 adjustment for Blair is more effective than, you know, just the torque of the, of the NUCA adjustment. And then, and that C2 can be better corrected measured and analyzed. And, you know, it's like, I'm open for all of that and, 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 and having all of that come together for the best, you know, and again, it's, I think you just hinted on it. It's like, let's evaluate each patient. It's an yeah. interesting, it's an interesting catch 22 as far as like each patient is a unique puzzle 
but each patient is a human being. Yeah. We all have the same, like our bodies work the same, but we're a little bit different and we have different histories and we have different injuries. And like, there should be this huge, you know, protocol uh, of, of ways to evaluate these patients and, and not every patient might need the same thing, right? You're not going to adjust a five-year-old like you're going to adjust an 85-year-old, right? Yeah. It's like, we've got to take that into consideration. We've got to understand that that is a, that's a problem, right? Someone who's got a long mastoid and you can't get to the trend, like yeah. all of these things are factors. And, and, and I'm looking forward to, and, 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 and one last thing here, and I think you mentioned it on one of the papers that you sent me as far as you know, what I would like to see with the research, it's, it's, it is that, uh, I, I don't think in the spirit of improving our application of the art and science yeah. and philosophy, um, of the upper cervical work, that's what I'd really like to see more research go. It's like, what, like, let's keep improving and not just sit back on our laurels on, okay, well, we've got our techniques. It's good. There's just no research saying, well, okay, let's, let's compare like Blair yeah. and Nuka for this. And let's compare, you know, Nietzsche, like let's do the research, not, not in the, in the light of who's best and what's better, but like to finally get to the point of how we can get the best results, period. hundred percent. And I think, uh, you know, with, with the scant resources that we have in chiropractic, let alone upper cervical care, that is the path forward you know, is, is together rather than, you know, that the sort of, um, you know, dissemination of those scant resources in, in areas where they can just be less effective, you know, alone than together. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really proud of uh, the work that the, you know, the ICA council and upper circle is doing. And a lot of these conversations are going on there, you know, about how that we can all level up together uh, rather than an either or type of conversation. Um, and, and we have to remember when we're talking about an upper cervical subluxation, we're characterizing that in different ways through different techniques, but a subluxation in a patient is a subluxation in a patient, if that yeah. makes sense. And so, yeah, you know, absolutely. we can measure it differently on imaging. We can do pre and post testing. That's a little bit different, but some patients will manifest their subluxation pattern in different ways. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's prudent to have a, a variety of different perspectives that you can evaluate patients with and through, you know, so that you can, you know, put them in a position to have the best possible outcome. Absolutely. You know? And absolutely. at the end of the day, if we're just, reading research so that we can pull out snippets that we can put on our whiteboard in the office, or, you know, or just things that are going to validate, you know, our, our particular perspective, that's kind of the surface level use, you know, that of that information. But, you know, the, the way that I see, you know, the real value is what you're talking about, which is let's practically apply these things, you know, let's figure out ways that we can bring this information together, synthesize it into something practical and tangible for, for patients. So, right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to make sure that, you know, for all these papers that you referenced and the shows that you guys have done on that, the links are available in the uh, comments and the show notes and, and the resources for this episode. I'll also make sure that folks can get access to uh, you through your website and such so that if they do have research they'd like to send you, if they have yeah. questions about any of the work that you've done or any feedback about your particular project, uh, they'll be able to do that as well. Um, I appreciate the generosity of your time and, and the effort that you've put into, you know, putting this out, this yeah. information out there. Cause it's, it's important and, you know, it's very valuable. So absolutely. And thank you for having me and thank you for everything that you're doing with, uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're doing this on your time as well. So, um, appreciate what you're doing as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, doc. And we'll uh, talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or colleague. 
Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and check the show notes for links to our hosts, guests, and other relevant information. And head on over to www.blairchiropractic.com to find out more about Blair Upper Cervical Chiropractic or to find a doctor close to you. If you're a chiropractor or healthcare provider, you'll want to look at www.blairtechnique.com for information on upcoming events, professional development resources, and some very useful online training modules. You can also find a link to make a charitable donation, which is greatly needed to advance research. Until next time, be well.